it was very hard to keep track of my parents. For the most part, we were left to be on our own. They were yelling at us for something. They were hitting us for something. My stepdad was showing us inappropriate things. One of the stipulations that my mom had, if she wanted to have at least my brother and I back, since we were the two that were actually hers biologically, she needed to go through counseling and she needed to leave him. The counseling part she was doing, she had been doing, uh, all the way up to the, the last session. She had one, I, I, I was told she had one left. All she had to do was go through the door. But she chose not to go to the session, and she said that she could always have more kids, but she couldn't have another Wayne. So yeah, she chose to give us up, didn't want to know where we were, how we were doing, anything. She just completely severed ties. I didn't really have a birth. I didn't have birthdays until I was I was put into foster care. So I had no idea really how old I was until I turned eight. And a family from Minnesota was going to come down and and take a look at us, possibly adopt us. For the first year or so, things were okay. Things things were good. I mean, um, I had a mom and dad. As time progressed or went on, my sister really re- reacted differently from the past than I did. She acted out, um, and that put a lot of stress in the family. And I more or less got you know, pushed to the wayside because my, my response to the past was to be a people pleaser and do as much as possible, you know, whatever they told me to do because then they can't send me away. You know, I didn't want to be sent away, to, sent away again. We were treated differently than their kids. We were definitely on the outside circle. There were plenty of times that you know we had been threatened to be sent back. They're, you know, they expressed their regret of even bringing us be a part of the family. You know, my mom also, you know, nothing I did was right. Um, I was never smart enough, pretty enough, anything. I was, you know, ridiculed daily. And then, you know, once I started getting older. Um, my, you know, views of me changed, um, and then, you know, some kind of inappropriate actions, words took place, and then our, our relationship really, you know, went south. Um, I ended up moving out, and I took a, about a 10-year hiatus from the family. We're in the series Deep Change, and one of the desires that we have had as we put these series together is to invite stories of change that's occurring within people who attend here. And so I'm so grateful to Sarah, who has been willing to share this story, which will continue. You'll see more with this message, kind of weaving it together. But um, it takes a lot of um, courage to become vulnerable. And to kind of stand up and kind of open your life. And so we're so grateful for that, for your willingness, Sarah. But I have to share with you, as I was preparing this, this transition between this part of the story, I, I had some things that written down thoughts, and I just didn't feel comfortable with where I was at. And, and as, a, as a pastor who's going to stand up and talk in front of people, it's not a really great feeling to get to 8.15 in the morning and not being sure of this little tra- what I'm going to do. I mean, have it, but not feeling 
And so in those times, I sometimes go, you know, God, part of life is learning to be vulnerable and, and trust you and, and kind of, um, you know, put the time in. I've done what you've asked, and I just got to kind of leave it to you. And so I go to our prayer time at 8.15 this morning, and uh, we have a group of people who come together who pray for you. They pray for these services. They pray that God's presence will be richly felt here, that you will encounter the presence of God through worship and through the message and things such as that. And as I'm, I'm sitting there, um, Pastor Paul, he's about in his 90s, and he's just a young man. We have a class of about 30-some people who are 80 years of age and older, and, and they were taking communion this morning in their class. And, um, and so he comes in, and he took that 8.15 time, and, and, and I, um, a lot of times he'll share something. And I had something prepared, and I thought, you know, Paul, Maybe do you have something you want to say? He goes, well, yeah, just one verse. And he gave us a verse and then he shared this story. He said in in his earlier years in ministry, when he was in Kenosha, Wisconsin, he had received a call. It was sometime in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, he gets a call from a young man. And the young man says, um, we, I need your help. I want to kill my wife. That's not the kind of call you get too often. And so he began to talk with this, this young man. He was 24 years of age. He had married his wife when she was 16. They had four kids. He was rather a dictator, kind of somewhat abusive in his home. And, and he began talking with him. And he, he, could, he could tell enough that was at a place where he said, you know what, I will meet you tomorrow morning after the service. I'd like to meet you. Knowing that sometimes people, when they have something to, destined to, that makes a lot of difference. And so he, he said, I'll see you there. And so he hung up the phone and he preached that next morning and he came back out and here was the man waiting for him. And this man was waiting for him. And so Paul came up to him and he began to talk to him. And the man began to share every reason, everything, why he should do this and that. And Paul finally just said to him, you've got all the answers. And I can't, you know, let's, you know, let me just pray for you. Doesn't seem like there's much I can do. And so he prays for him. And the guy comes back the next Sunday and, and I kind of got a little of the tougher side of Paul, his tough love side, uh, because he's such a sweet and gentle guy. And this guy comes up to him after service again, starts sharing all this stuff. And Paul just looks at him, cuts him off and says, you have all the answers um, and prays with him and, and goes his way. Well, this is going on, I guess, on for about a month. At one point, the guy comes to Paul's home. Paul's cutting his yard. He sees the guy, puts his head down, doesn't want to really see him, wants to keep going. And the guy steps in front of the lawnmower. So Paul has to stop. So Paul stops. He gets out in front and he starts talking to the guy. And again, the guy starts sharing stuff. And Paul looks at him because you've got all the answers. And he prays with him and he goes on his way. Well, it happens a few more times. And then on a Sunday, one Sunday after a service, Paul comes up to him. The guy looks at him and all he says is, I need your help. It was at that point that Paul, it was clear for him, it was clear for the work of God, for the Holy Spirit to be able to step in. You see, you may not have a story of brokenness so fractured as Sarah's as we go into this, but... If you're really longing for deep change, the first thing that you need to understand is your need. We have a lot of self-made people in this area that we live in. We have a lot of people, and Jesus would look at them and he'd go, you know, it's really tough for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. It's tough for those who are wealthy, rich, those who have everything, those who seem to be able to do it. If you don't know a sense of your own brokenness and your own need, and every person, if you get honest with yourself, in some place has a need, has a brokenness. You may be like that uh, guy coming to Paul. 
You got all the answers, but you know, it's like little kids. You ever see little kids and until they get to the point when they're trying to tie their shoes and they get this knot and you want to try and help them and they keep, and you know, they're making the knot worse. And eventually they kind of throw their arms. It's when they kind of go, help. There's the opportunity for someone who is greater, more knowledgeable, more wise, more powerful, more resourceful to actually step in to begin to untie those knots and begin to change things and begin to teach that person how to work through these kind of things in the same way it may be in your life today. The greatest prayer that you will ever pray when it comes to wanting to know deep change in your life, in your marriage, in your work world, in any place, is the prayer that cries out, Help! And invite someone far greater, far more powerful, far more wise into your brokenness. But within those ten years, I did find the church. Because um, the whole time, I still, I still had that deep down feeling I needed to be at church. I needed, I needed to be with God. But I wasn't happy because I, I, I needed to. I need to get fixed. <laughs> I was I was got this prompting to write a letter to the pastor, Pastor Kenworthy at the time. Um, kind of explained to him kind of what was going on, and through him, I met Beth. Seeing her for the first time, it was it was calming. We would go through periods of where you know, you know, weekly sessions, and then I would take breaks, kind of process it, come up with new issues, go back to see her again. <laughs> um, and it was it was a, kind of an on-again, off-again thing just through the years. I think I would be fine, try to do it on my own, figure out it wasn't quite so fine, um, go back again. Um, still battling with myself. The biggest breakthrough would have been last March, after after a, a retreat that we had, and I, where I ended up hitting kind of a an all-time low, um, just kind of sick of struggling, sick of thinking things were doing all right and they weren't. I was I was very used to being given up upon, so I, I was thinking this was going to be easy. Just you know, I'm not going to do it anymore. I even passed my session on to somebody else, and Beth had other ideas. <laughs> Where each of our sessions ended with with a hug, and uh, this one ended with more of an embrace, where she actually just held me, and I, I've never been held like that before. And it was kind of like a, a bulldozer through the through the wall, and that's when the the major healing really began. You know, where I could actually start to feel things and feel feel God. Whereas like, I knew he was there, you know, I knew that he loved me. But it was more like a, a picture in a book or on a TV screen. I didn't know how to actually feel his love. I didn't know how to feel his arms around me. But with that embrace, it, you know, it brought God off of that movie screen and actually in front of me in, in person. I could actually feel him. You know, it, it was just, it was a whole new view of everything. You know, the, the world 
knows that love in this way. And, and you may know the love in this way. You've heard about it and you've heard it talked about and you've maybe studied it and you've maybe heard messages about it. And it is in a sense that that love of God is just somewhere out there. And uh, it's on that movie kind of TV screen kind of thing. The, the whole world says Jesus, in a sense, has an attachment issue. If you want to look at it in psychological terms, in the sense that they don't know this kind of deep, settling love and peace of God. And so what I find is really interesting. You know, if, you, if you're thinking of someone's final words and kind of their last prayer and they're praying with you and they know it's going to be kind of their last time with you and you look at the final things that they say it's it's often interesting if, if, I, if it was my last few hours and i knew that i was going to give a message and share something with you i'd probably share something that is of the great greatest deepest significance to me and also what i'd hope would be to you so jesus prays with his disciples he knows it's in just going to be moments that he's going to actually suffer and go through all kinds of rejection and pain and abuse, and he's going to be on a cross. And before he goes, he prays a prayer. And in the prayer, he gets to the very end. And you have to just kind of hear these words as how important they are. For Jesus says in chapter 17, verse 25, Righteous Father, Father, who always does everything right, You've never, you've never done a thing wrong in your life. Righteous Father, holy, good, loving, kind, so different than the rest of the world. The world does not know you. For the most part, the world we live in knows about this God and things about this God that's out there that's kind of, kind of the TV screen kind of idea of God. That's the kind of thing the world knows. And so he says the world does not know you. I know you. Now, I think that's interesting because Jesus is saying something very profound here. If you don't understand this word of no, the word of no is not this understanding like I really know you. I've read about you in the Old Testament, Father. I just think, you know, and I, I've studied. I understand. I mean, I got a good intellectual grasp of you. I, I get the, you know, the whole area of soteriology and I get eschatology and I get all the ologies, you know, and you're all kind of getting sleepy right now, right? I, I, I get I, I get all the intellectual stuff, and I think the world can get even intellectual stuff. But the thing that really made a difference for Jesus is that he knew him experientially. He knew his father in such a way that it regulated everything in his life. He was able to live, the only person on this earth, able to live completely vulnerable in a trusting, fully trusting relationship with his father, where the spirit of his father just dwelled in him and, and his spirit was open to the father, being able to move in the, in the fullness of his love. He experienced it. He says, I, righteous father, the world doesn't get you in this way, but I know you. And they know, you see, the ones around me, they know you've sent me. They've seen you. They've experienced, in a sense, your presence through me. They have seen miracles of people who have come forward. They've seen broken people come before me and find healing. They've seen people who have been rejects and cast out and those who have been shunned by the religious elites of their day who had to somehow, if they just performed enough, they just did enough, you couldn't be vulnerable. In fact, it was all about control. If you can just control things enough, then God might just look at you and go, well done. They didn't know this idea of brokenness, but you, Jesus, showed us this, Father. And he says they knew me and that you sent me because they saw how you 
work through me. They understood that. They saw how you, Jesus, would stand like the Father before a person who everyone wanted to condemn and they wanted to throw stones at. In fact, some of you who were here last week, how have you been doing with those stones? I've had a number of emails through this week, and I had one that had the memo up front. It said, Catching Stones. It was one from one of the medical doctors in our community here and, and had sent me an email and just said just wanted to thank me for the message and that they had been carrying the stone around. And in doing so, they began to see even in their life, in their professional life, how many stones are being cast in different directions and even realized that in, a, in his own experience. And, and I, I've had those kind of things. But these guys, they see this incredible man who who has this incredible deep love who could stand up to all the judgment that was there that was going to be sent not only towards this woman but just think the judgment that stood against him they were looking for ways to trap him they wanted to throw stones and jesus he says if you've been without sin go ahead throw the first stone and and they all start dropping their stones and then jesus looks at her and says there's no one to throw a stone neither do i throw a stone the only one who could and they began to see, they, as Jesus is praying this, they understand, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, that's kind of a father detachment. I know you. I am so fully attached to you. And they know that you sent me. And I've made them, you known to them and will continue to make you known to them. The word here is kind of interesting, too, this idea of I've made you made. Um, you known to them is this idea of revelation. We have this idea that if you can just study, you're going to, you know, it's just a head kind of thing. It's just if you if you're around it enough, you'll kind of assimilate it. You know, if I just go to church, maybe it'll happen to me and I'll become more like like God. But what he, he uses here is this idea of revelation. And one of the things that we value here as a church body and I, if you're part of this church, this is what I, I, I pray you come to understand how important this is. We value an encounter with God. And encounters with God are not necessarily intellectual. Now, they may come through our intellect. I'm not denying that. Jesus said, use your mind to your fullest. In fact, you are, you're called to do all those. You're to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, with all your mind as well, right? But what we have often problems with is allowing ourselves to be vulnerable in our hearts so it sinks into our heart. And so he says, I've made you known to them. What he means is I've revealed, I've revealed that to them. And through your spirit, there's a revelation. And, and that's how people grow. That's how people grow in, in this knowing of God. It's through an encounter, through a revelation by the Holy Spirit that comes. And as you with faith begin to trust that God begins to reveal himself. So Jesus says, I've made you known to them. In fact, he says, I'm going to be going. But he goes, I will continue to make you known to them. Well, how is he going to do that? Well, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And as he gives you the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself that's why we sing about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, because Jesus himself, who sits at the right hand of the Father, will reveal to you, if your heart is open, more of himself. And here is, here's the kicker in this whole verse. Here's what Jesus wants you to know. These are the last words of the prayer that we have recorded. I've made you known to them, and will continue to make you known Catches in order that for this purpose that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Now, here's what I think is so incredible about this. 
The whole purpose that Jesus came was to reveal his father and reveal the fact of this incredible, deep love for people who understand their sin, who are willing to acknowledge it, who are willing to understand that their selfishness, the strategies you use to get life, lead you to no life. You begin to come to a place, whether you've had a very fractured life or whether you've come to a place where you begin to get in touch with the brokenness in your own spirit, in your own life. And he says, those kind of people, those kind of people, I've revealed myself in order that they may know the same kind of love you have for me, Jesus, his son, may be in them. Now catch that. That's huge. I just had the opportunity this last week to be with my daughter. She's in a PA school out in Henderson, Nevada. And I got to tell you, it was so fun being with her. I really love her. I just, I think the world of her. As a dad, I, and, and my kids, I just love those kids. And, and you know, they, they, just the things about them. And this morning when I was just writing my thank yous and my journaling, I just was writing and I wrote about things that I love about them. Now, let me in on, just let you in on a little secret. Guess what? I love them so much, but they're not perfect. Anybody raising perfect kids here? Any, any kids think they're perfect? Yeah, yeah, we got some some kids having their dads raise their hands. But anyway, any any parents think they're perfect? Any kids think their parents are? Yeah, right. Come on, work with me on this. You know what this is like. Here's the, here's the thing. I have this inexhaustible kind of stay awake at night kind of love that when my daughter is going through a difficult time and having a bad day, guess what? I have a bad night's sleep. I have a bad day. I love her that much and she's not perfect. You love your kids that much. Kids, you don't realize it right now, but someday you'll grow up and you have kids of your own and you'll begin to go, wow, I couldn't believe, you know, they did a lot of stupid things my parents did, but they really love me. You know, they really don't do a lot of stupid things. But anyway, you may think so. But... Let's get back to the sermon. Okay. Went down a bunny trail. Anyway, um, here's what you need to understand. Can you imagine how much the Father in heaven, who is a perfect Father, loves this Son, Jesus, His Son, his only one and begotten son who never did a thing wrong, who any time his father asked was responsive to what his father desired, who went and said, Father, I volunteer. I see what's happened with this creation. I'll volunteer to leave everything. I'll go down there. I'll walk among them. I'll take on human flesh. I'll do all that needs to be done. I'll sacrifice and, and, and I'll stand up against that which is wrong. I'll go ahead and take the judgment. I'll point out to the religious elite world that doesn't want to get in touch with their brokenness, who, who lives by power and intimidates and thinks somehow through their righteous acts they're saved. I'll stand against that. I'll bring a new path. I'll bring a new way. I'll make it possible by, by going through suffering suffering and abuse and dying on a cross and allowing my, my death to open up hearts so they'll be vulnerable, so there'll be a pathway to you, Father. I'll do all that. Can you imagine how deeply and in love the Father is and has been with His Son? Now, now with that in mind, listen to these words. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you, Father, known in order that you... Each one of us might know 
The love that the Father has for me, the Son, may be in them. That you will experience the same kind of just inexhaustible, stay awake, love you to death kind of love that the Father has for His Son. And you think about it for a second. Jesus deserved every bit of it. Anybody who's honest with themselves knows. You just know you don't deserve it, do you? It's that kind of love that Jesus was praying for that you would experience. That you might know. Can you imagine what that's like to live that way? Can you imagine feeling and being so entrenched and so so secure in this in, in the love of the Father to have in your mind like Jesus did? You know, well done, good and faithful son. And, and all the time, even though you're not perfect, even though you've blown it, even though you will blow it tomorrow, this God looks at you and says, well done, I love you. You may mess it up, but I still love you. You may not feel at all like you deserve it. But I love you. You may not have gotten your parents' love or experienced it. But it's for you. It's for you and you and you and you. That love Jesus prayed for for you and for you. Now, what I love about this story is those of you who are, who are experiencing it and beginning to experience it, you know, you have a responsibility. And what I love about what, what, what God allows us to do is, is I look at him... Um, the story, and I see as Beth had said, embraced her. We have the opportunity to allow for others to begin to experience that depth of love. So, is there anyone in your life? Is there anyone around you? And the world doesn't know this, says Jesus. See, you know, when you walk by possibly the person who's taking your money when you're going to the grocery store, there's a possibility that person knows about it in their head, knows about it in the TV screen. I mean, everyone's heard about it. That's one of the reasons the church is so ineffective today. Everybody knows about it, but do you really experience this so that it brings about deep life change? Just think if you did, you were able to walk in the same confidence that Jesus walked. It didn't matter what someone thought of you. It's not that you went around and you kind of, you know, disregarded me, but it, it didn't change the way that you would love them. It didn't change the way you'd respond to them. If they respond to you in an angry way, you didn't react in anger. You had the ability because you were just so deeply settled in this love that over time, the patterns that would be the natural ones begin to change supernaturally because the Holy Spirit's in you. And as that love grows deeper and deeper, deep change occurs. So in time, you become like Jesus. That's the goal of us as a church. Now, we're not there. But that's what deep change in how it occurs when you look at Jesus and you just see how He would, he would um, be willing to sacrifice because He knew His Father's love. He knew that He had more. He knew that this world wasn't all of it. It wasn't the end. He knew there was a world yet which He would experience for eternity. So where are you at? Have you ever experienced that deep love? You know, you may be in this process and this, and you may have um, um, opened your heart a bit to it, and you may have. But God wants it to begin. Jesus prayed, and I, I guess I ask you this question: Would you ever say to Jesus, Jesus, I would like to? in my lifetime, be the answer to your prayer. I would like to begin to live so deeply in the love that the Father has for me in the same way He has for you that you would so fully dwell in me 
that when I get there someday, go, Jesus kind of looks at you and goes, you know, thank you. Thank you for being the answer to my prayer. Wouldn't that be cool? Deep change happens when we're loved deeply. Because in those deepest places, when we become vulnerable to God, He moves in and begins to restructure the very core of who we are. And ever since then, just new things have been happening, and um, life has been a lot happier, a lot easier. Where, you know, instead of going through the motions of pretending to be happy and putting a smile on your face and, you know, let people see one thing but feeling another, it's, that's not, it's, it's not that anymore. I don't, have to, I, mean, I don't have to pretend anymore. It's genuine. Everything is it's good. I'm you know, becoming more involved with the church. Um, I have a greater zeal for God. You know, I was actually asked recently if um, if I re- or if I wish that none of it happened. My answer is no. I, I don't wish that because had none of that happened, I wouldn't be sitting here. I, I have a wonderful church family. I have a wonderful relationship with Beth that I would not have had that all that not happen. Now I just I would like to reach out and help other people along their journey. It's a very long, unfun road to travel down, and if I can help others get to where I'm at, it would it'll make. It'll make it worth it. So as, you know, stinky as the past might have been, there's a reason for it. You know, we can turn the bad into good. Lemons in the lemonade. <laughs> I just want to share with you four things. Four, you know, those of you who like to take notes, here you go. Deep change involves pursuit. It involves pain. It involves perseverance, and it's deeply personal. It involves a personal choice and decision. And it's a pursuit, and it's a pursuit. It's, it's, you know, here's your part. Now you go, okay, God, Jesus is very this thing. Now what do I do? Here's what you do. It's all about faith. It's all about trust. It's all about saying, I'm going to make myself vulnerable. I'm going to put myself in places as I pursue him where I can get to know him. And it may mean for you to think about what is your next step. It could be as simple as saying, you know what? I do want to get involved in a group of people and begin to, to be in a small group where people pray and care for me. And I begin to open up my heart because God works through other people and he works through his word. It may be that God is saying one of your next steps might be as simple as saying, I need to get to know God's Word. Maybe spending a few moments in, in, in the beginning of the day where you just read a few verses and, and open your heart to it. Or it could be that you need to be in one of what I call a kind of a drive time group where some guys or with some women where you get together early in the morning and you just get together to talk about God's Word and to share about your life experience. It could be one of these classes that are offered that you see on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings. It could be that God is calling you in some place to use the gift that you have, to use that gift, and in using of that gift, you get connected with other people. But God is probably calling you to take some kind of step. And, and deep change always involves a pursuit. 
I mean, I look at the life of Sarah. You know, we all expect each change to happen like this, but it really often doesn't happen like that. It's about a pursuit because God loves us as people and we're very complex and we are, we are called off. And the reason he calls us into this is because in our journey and in our path, he begins to reveal things. He starts to pull things back and it takes time. God is, is such a gentleman. He doesn't just do major surgery if you're not ready for it. And you may be in a marriage situation and you're just kind of putting up thinking, I'm just going to keep, you know, this is the way it's going to be, I guess. And God said, no, it's a pursuit. I don't know what God's next step is. And you may go, I've tried a whole lot. You can ask Sarah at one point. I'm sure she felt like saying, you know, I've done this. I've done some counseling. I mean, hers was a pursuit. She came. She opened up her heart, wrote a letter to Pastor Kenworthy a number of years ago. And as a result of that, got involved with some people. And in, in, in that process, about a year or so ago, went on a women's retreat. And in the women's retreat, got to know some people. And in that process, she also then heard about Gateway Prayer Ministry, went through the prayer ministry. She also then was in council over a period of time with, with Beth. It may be that you need to be in council with someone. I don't know what it is. You know, don't be afraid of taking these kind of steps. Don't be afraid of being vulnerable. I, my wife and I have gone to counseling. I'm, I'm proud to say the fact that one of the ways you let God into your life is by becoming humble and just saying, you know what, I need help. God can't do much with you like Pastor Paul can't do much with the person who's not willing to pursue, who's not willing to say, I need help, I'm, I'm, whatever it is. And so God might be calling you right now to take a step. And I'm going to challenge you, whatever that is. Sometimes the Spirit of God puts something strange and He puts it in your head. I'm going to challenge you to maybe talk to someone about it and then maybe take that step. It's a pursuit. It takes time. As, as we heard, too, it also involves pain. Sarah said it's an unfun road in some ways. You know, the more unfun road is to stay stuck. The most painful pain that I've ever experienced is senseless pain. Somehow when you begin to start moving, God begins to help you make sense of some of the pain. You don't get it all right away, but over time you begin to move into it and you begin to say, as the Holy Spirit comes around you and through other people and He leads you into the right path to the right people at the right time. And in that process, He begins to unveil this. Hebrews is interesting because at one point... In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that it involves pain. And Jesus himself, we're told, is the writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the one who completed our faith from the beginning to the end. He showed us how to do it. In fact, his faith was made good, so it's your faith. It's a really big concept. But who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame. Even Jesus himself went through pain. You see, we want to go around the pain. We want to run from the pain. We want to do all the kind of things. You see, our path is often this. Our path is control, avoid pain, and then hope for gain. Right? Anybody experienced that before? The more, you know, I was talking to someone earlier who was in the first service said to me, you know, the older I grow, the more I see I try to be in control of things. And then I, I said, yeah, and I also, what I see too is the less control I have. So let's just admit it. Well, we work so hard. You know what? Here's the truth. God's path is often this. It's surrender through the pain. And at a point as you continue the pursuit and you continue to entrust yourself to Jesus, he begins to bring gain into your life. But it calls for perseverance. Anybody in pain, you're ready to give up, right? I know in Sarah's story, there's times she, I, I can tell you many times in my life I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to go. I, I'm, I'm just done. I, I was running. Um, and, and, and one of the things you, we talked about earlier was, you know, physical health. Often to get physical health, it requires 
pain. You don't, you know, you don't say to someone, would you run for me this week? Because I really want to get healthy. I've never seen that work. But what you see, what happens is when you say, you know, spiritually, you know, God, I'm going to I'm going to persevere. I'm going to move into this. So I'm running and it was in that 90 some degrees weather. And I, I, you know, I was I like being in that heat and I'm running. And at a certain point, I just, you know, paying attention to my body and I felt like giving up. But I, I knew I wasn't in a bad place. So I'm not encouraging you to run in bad hot weather. We got enough doctors here will probably talk to me afterwards. But anyway, but I find physical just strenuous activity sometimes is really good for me because in that process I pray and so often he takes things I'm going through and he relates it to my life and I'm praying and I'm going through it in this period of my, my life the last month and uh, I shared this with the first service so I'll just share this with you as well I'm going through a real difficult time in a lot of diff- in some different areas there's some things in my own personal life with my mother who is just moving into a mid stages of Alzheimer's and I feel like I'm kind of dying and losing her every day kind of you know that process and so I'm, my emotions are just like at the surface I said to someone the other day, you know, when I preach, sometimes I get kind of emotional these days. And I said, it's like I don't have control like I would like to have. And and there goes the whole control thing again, right? And I have some other things that are happening. And and, and, and I was just running and I'm just going and, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying out what I preached on last week, which I want you to hear. And I would love for you to do if you take pedometers every step you take. Jesus is for me. Jesus is with me. Jesus is in me. Jesus is for me. Jesus is with me. Jesus is in me. When you go through those difficult times, you're experiencing the pain. One of the ways to persevere is to know how much Jesus is for you, how much the father loves you. He loves you like his son. You better believe he will empower you. You better believe he will fill you. You better believe that as you move through this pain and you persevere through it, what, what happened as I was running is like the Lord said to me, you know, heroes are the ones who persevere. And anyone who is letting me write their story with them will, will be a hero. And I started thinking about that. Him, you know, this, this was kind of good because I'm taking my mind off all the, and I'm running and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about Abraham and, and I'm thinking about Jacob, Jacob and Joseph and, and, and Samuel and David and Daniel. And I kept thinking to myself, if at any point, can you imagine them giving up? Can you imagine at a certain point, Joseph, who is thrown in the prison, his, his life keeps going this direction when it looks like it could be going this way. And he's promised it's going to go this way. God's promised some of you things that he is going to do for you. But you've got to persevere and you've got to hang on to that promise as God continues to, to give you and you this faith and strength to move into it. What I find is really interesting. Could you imagine Joseph? He's thrown in the prison. It says for about a couple of years, it was dead silent. Just imagine if he gave up. God is with you in your pain right now. Persevere. Deep change happens when you pursue and you know that you'll move through the pain and you persevere through it. And the last I want to say is deep change is personal. And I say this again, I kind of kidded about it before, but here's the truth. It's when, when I talk about deep change and I, I look like even in, uh, this is probably where it's become most clear to me in my own life is often in my life with regard to our marriage. I always wanted my wife to change. Anybody have any desire to have a spouse change? Yeah, I didn't think anybody did. Just me. So. And, and so I just, it was all about, it's all about, and then God said, Kevin, it's all about you. Forget what's going on here and begin to look at your own heart. 
When you start coming into those difficult times of pain, and, and some may not be fair, some may be right in the sense that you would like and expect, whatever, but what you need to do is go, what do you need to do? What is the right thing for you to do? And let me just say for some people who all your life have been kind of like a welcome mat and you've allowed people to have pain, one of the things God might be calling for you to do is to set up a boundary, not to be that. That's a hard thing to do, but God in His love will sustain you. It's a personal thing. It's not about someone else. It's not about changing someone else. It's not about getting your boss to do a certain thing. It's about you saying, God, what do you need to do in me? And when you respond to what He does in you, I can promise you, the Word of God tells you, in time, things around you will change. We are here as a people at this time, in this place, inviting other people into brokenness because we know that in this place, Jesus shows up and by His power and by His strength will change and transform you and the community that you live in, the marriage you live in, and the people around you. So I'm so excited to preach and to share as we go through this year about deep change. We will be people. And I invite you on this journey. If you've never journeyed this before and you've been coming for a few months or maybe the last year and you've never done this, I invite you to just say, Jesus, I, you know my heart. You understand me better than I understand myself. You know my sin. I just acknowledge all this before you. I repent of it and I invite you into the depths of my being so that you can begin to change me with the kind of love. Catch this. The same kind of love that your father had for you. I'm going to trust that. I invite you to trust that.